Joining us for the second half of this episode is the world-renowned composer of our opening piece on this concert, Augusta Reed Thomas. The American-made work Sunburst will kick off our concert on February 23rd, 8 p.m. at Alpharetta Methodist Church. The esteemed composer, Augusta Reed Thomas, a pivotal figure in contemporary classical music, known for her nuanced, elegant, and vividly colorful compositions, with a career that has not only garnered critical acclaim, but also deeply influenced the fabric of modern American orchestral music. Augusta's work is celebrated for its boldness, poetic beauty, and innovative spirit. Among her numerous accolades are a Grammy win, a Pulitzer Prize nomination, and the prestigious Ernst von Siemens Music Prize. Augusta's compositions are performed worldwide, making her one of the most recognizable and beloved figures in American music. We're particularly excited as the Alpharetta Symphony prepares to perform her new work, Sunburst, on February 23rd, 2024, at the Alpharetta Methodist Church. This piece promises to be another testament to Augusta's exceptional ability to sculpt sound into stunning landscapes of emotion and color. Welcome, Maestra. Thank you so much, Maestro Grant. It's a pleasure to be here. Yeah, so I, I have to say, like, I know that this piece is was was originally intended for youth orchestra and that didn't deter me uh with us because because the, the piece is great and of course um needing an opening piece and it's a what less than seven minutes hopefully as long as we take the right tempo um and and so that's what we needed but even though you may have intended this for a youth orchestra i mean this would challenge any orchestra with its rhythmic complexity but but it still stands out as something very, um, very uh, palpable for for an audience to take in very easily, immediately, like most of your works. But 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 this one is kind of in bites, and 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 I was kind of drawn to it. And and the youth orchestra part, uh, I'd really like to hear more about that and and how that's that's gone over with youth orchestras. Oh, thank you. That's a the beautiful question. And I'm incredibly honored and grateful and humbled and thankful that you and your amazing symphony are performing this. It means a lot to me. Uh, just, you know, to keep the piece alive and breathing and bursting with sunshine. Uh, thank you so, so much. And to your board and to your audience and to the Methodist Church and like everything. I'm really grateful. It's going to be great. I mean, I try to do this with programming that that we have, you know, it's no it's no secret. And most conductors will do this, that that we have on on the concert, something of an anchoring piece that is the big piece that happens. And then and then I try to make sure that somewhere in there is something that is going to challenge us even more, challenge the audience to hear something new and then um so that we are not just doing the things that are expected and then especially on this concert you're one of the girls on fire so uh, uh having having beach at the end that is a significant piece of music and very complex and very uh, uh um, emotionally overwhelming and it's relatively unknown. So we, but we go from relatively unknown, and the Florence Price is almost entirely unknown. And your piece is not exactly fresh off the presses, but it's very, very new. So this is this is very challenging in that way for the audience. But 
at the same time, all the pieces are very accessible. Um, so, so it's, it's, it's great to have it on there. So when you were, when you were creating this piece, I, I mean, it, it, it really, it really speaks to these kind of universal themes of renewal and energy. So what is it? Could you share your, your journey of, of experiences that may have led to this, this piece and, and how it fits into your broader body of work? Oh, thank you. Yeah, and it's a marvelous program you've put together. I love the works of the other composers. So musical and artful and sensitive and well-made. And, and it's it's just magnificent that you are um, supporting all of us. Um, well, with Sunburst, I had this image of literally like the sun bursting and, and sort of flares flying out. And some of those flares are, let's say, figuratively speaking, you know, sort of purple. And then as they go out into the sky, they start to turn blue and then maybe pink. And they there's like these vapor trails or ribbons of them. And then another one might burst and maybe it's greenish blue or something. And then that morphs over to like purple to orange or something. So you have a sense of, of things bursting at different rates in a certain way. But then there's moments where it coalesces into something that's like really like soulful and almost kind of interior and chant like, like we're seeing the, the glowing orb out in the sky or something where we're now miles from the sun. And then as the piece continues, it builds up and builds up and ends very, very loud at the end with all the bells ringing. And I was imagining that at the very end, this last sound hits and then whoosh, we, we, we need to wait for all the bells to come back to silence. And, you know, with your amazing percussionists playing loud on the ringing crotals, for example, they'll ring for 25 seconds. And so even after the orchestra has stopped, the piece is still going. And that's a lot like a sunburst. You know, the sun might go down behind the horizon, but we still see the glow. We still see it shimmering and we have to wait for it to settle. So I, I had these sort of images in my mind and I tried to paint them uh, with the sound. And I think what you said about it being a very immediate piece, I agree with you. It, it just starts. It's like the train has left the station. Off we go. Boom. And then it ends, you know. It, it has sort of an inner life and an inner line that's all its own. It, it just self-propels uh, in, in through, as I said, through some different chapters or different uh, colors, escapes, as it were. Um, so hopefully it really feels like a natural, uh, a natural arc, not a contrived one, but one where the, the music itself is the form and the form is the music. There's a real synergy. Um, between those, because I don't like it when pieces go on too long for their material. And I also don't like when there's tons of material jammed into a minute when you can't hear anything. So this balance between how long is this piece and what is the actual material that is unfolding and is every minute needed, is every 10 seconds needed, is every 20 seconds needed. That's the way I build my, my pieces, you know, really taking care for the form and the time. So that if an audience hears this piece sunburst, they can just sort of feel confident. They can just sit and listen to it, hopefully, and and follow the seven minute journey. Right. Uh, you know, it's interesting. Your your work has been described as very poetic, and the, and the way you just described it is extremely poetic. 
now this is now I want to ask this. I want to want to take this in a particular direction. Um, we as I'm not the artist. I'm the craftsman. You're the artist. You're the one creating it. So so I understand my place. Our place as musicians is not insignificant at all. However, it's not the creation standpoint. So so I understand that. Um, but what is the 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 very common prevailing uh concept of us as artists and poets and and anybody that 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 creates something is that it is somebody will say it's not a science it's an art and i'm always i'm always irreverent about that that comment because what goes into it what goes into the creation of these things is extremely technical it's extremely specific and you can't once you put, I forget who said this, but once you decide on one note, it was a composer. Once you decide on one note, you've said no to so many possibilities. So every single note you place is really, really, um, um, every single note is going to have some kind of a significant effect on the listener. Every single one. And yet we are described as as people that are free and 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 everything is kind of, you know, like lackadaisical and stuff, but that that's not it at all. It's so specific. And even especially with a poet using very specific words, every time you put down a word, it has, it has an effect on the, on the listener, on the reader. So, so in your, you describe this piece in a very poetic way. And at the same time, you have enormous amounts of, of, of very specific instructions for the orchestra in the score. Extremely, I've never seen so much except for maybe Mahler. Maybe Mahler challenges you in this particular piece. But um, but what is it that 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 drove you to to feel the need for such specific instructions in there? And some of them are obvious to us, and some of them aren't. Um, and and maybe that has to do with the youth orchestra part. I'm not sure, but what what is it that that led to that? Yeah, thank you. I, I think you said all that really, really well about you put one note down and you've you've eliminated other possibilities. You put two notes down, and you know that third note is going to be prescribed by the first two, and so on and so forth. And uh, in a way, as these pieces go, I feel like they're writing me, even though I'm writing them. Because once you start with something and then it starts to move and go, you have to listen to it where it wants to go, where the line is, how long the how long the long note is before we switch to the shorter notes or uh, the exact tempo, the where the crescendo starts. You know, is it like or is it like you know, very, very different, but you can really notate that precisely that the crescendo starts on the third beat of, you know, bar 11, and it's over by the first beat of bar 12, and it went from piano to forte or something. You know, I sculpt my dynamics like that literally on every bar on every note, and I do the same with the articulations, and I like to do crossfades. So somebody might be doing one of those, and then the other one is fading away, and then somebody else is coming in with a new line, and then this one fades over, and so there's crossfades of dynamics literally on every page and different kinds of articulatives, you know, 
when you have an accent, pa, or you have like some dots, pa, 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 you know, and, and getting all of this, or with slurs, pa, 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 hee, ha, hee, ha, hee, ha, pa, 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 ha, ha, hee, ha, you know, like slurs and dots. And I sculpt all of that stuff hours and hours and hours and hours on every single piece. So for, you know, 40 years. <laughs> so my scores are full of enormous detail. And the reason I do that is because that's what I heard. You know, I want that sense of character. It's not just like da, 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 da. It's not, it's like, bo, 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 be a people, people, yep, whatever. It's like, it's got a lot of character and these players are so good in your orchestra. If I just give them the dots and the slurs and the accents and the mezzo forte, they'll play it. And usually they write me and say, oh, it's fun, you know, because they can feel that I felt it and then they can really craft that. And then very often I'll put an adjective like playful and then two bars later I'll say suddenly interior. And then six bars later, it'll say majestic. And then, you know, two bars later, it'll say uh, extremely lyrical. And so what I'm asking is these players change their mood. They change their uh, their character so that across a composition and with different people doing different things, there's a real texture into the sound. Um, and, you know, it's it, it has to all be notated because there's not enough rehearsal for you to go and sculpt all of those things when, you know, but if I've sculpted them all and the players have the parts in advance, they'll just come in and play it. It's just not a problem that they know how to do it. They're great at it. So that's why I like to do that because that's how I heard it. And I also found 30 years ago, I would be at a rehearsal and I would say, oh, that should be playful. And the player would pick up a pencil and write playful. You know, and then the next person I'd be like, over here, we're majestic and stately. And they'd all pick up their pencils and write it in. So then I realized, why am I not just writing this in? And so about 30 or 35 years ago, I just started writing it in. And what's interesting is I get emails every week from people I've never met from around the world saying, I love your adjectives. I love your adjectives. They're so helpful. I know exactly what you want from me. And so it's fascinating. Um, so it, it's just part of my vocabulary in terms of trying to communicate because a lot of times I don't meet my players. Like for instance, um, six months ago, I had three huge pieces for chorus and orchestra going up at the same time in different cities. And one chorus was 160 and the other chorus was 70 and the other chorus was 100 and then two orchestras and like three different orchestral pieces and like seven chamber pieces and another choral piece. You know, there were like 2000 musicians learning my music in those two months. And how many of those 2000 musicians did I meet? Zero. You know, I went to the concert, but then I can say, thank you. It's a pleasure. You sound great. You know, you can't like meet everybody, but I want to meet them through the notation and I want them to meet me. So even though I'm not meeting them, they get their choral book and they're like, oh, I know just what she wants, you know, that kind of thing. Um, I think it's also if somebody commissions me, they deserve like a really well edited gusty piece. You know, they're going to get they're going to get like a whole sculpted thing. Um, I think that's what they're that's what they're investing in. And so anyway, there's lots of reasons. But and then also I'm a complete perfectionist for, you know, for, for I just can't help myself. You know, I just want to get everything perfect. But um, so those are some of the, the reasons and, and some of the ways it works out in real life. You know, um, like right now, your artists are probably uh, opening at some point my piece and, you know, we're having a conversation right away. Right. I mean, it, 
it's definitely it definitely helps because it it, it you're right it, it cuts down on the explanation time and i don't have to i can say look we have um we have moments at which like you described there's crossfading right so i can't show i can't show that to to an orchestra i can't do that but i can ex- i can say i can point out at some point you're going to be crescendoing and somebody else is going to be doing the opposite and then they get it and they're like okay i got it all right so i have to be very specific i have to you know and if it's like you said if it's a much longer one if it's 18 20 beats long i have to grade it more and almost always we just we know that at the end is when we need the most crescendo so we we already know most of those things and 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 then comparing to how how music has developed over time I mean, we're in we're in the contemporary period, whatever, whatever it's going to be called. Right. You're you're part of it. And there was, of course, a time when almost nothing was put on the page except for the notes and some very sparse dynamics. And Bach is a big example of that. Even Mozart. We have additions now that put in slurs and dots and, and expressive markings. But Mozart didn't put those down. So we have to know the style of the time and we have to study it. And that's all great. And that's all useful. So then fast forward to to the present age where and you don't do this and I'm thankful for this, but you use normal notation as much as possible. And it seems. And then uh, so that our collective um, education brings us up to that that current so we don't have to learn new notation we're not using in in your case at least as far as the works that i've seen you know quarter tones and stuff like that and that's that's all fine but that requires something something completely new so what you're talking about is all of the information that's all more or less automatic to us the notes on the page the dynamics the the slurs the the staccatos we get all that and then it's the other almost intangible things of of this is purple, right? You put that you put that very specifically at one particular moment. That's the beginning of a new section. It's purple. It's that that doesn't specifically mean the same thing to everyone, but neither does a slur, neither does a staccato. So, but it does mean okay. What what it it, it draws us in and says very focused. Okay, what is what is purple? Even just the question makes it like what. Okay, it's something else, something else completely. Now we may have already figured that out, but then that reinforces it immediately, and we can we can talk about it, but we don't have to. So so that that cuts down. So we get much faster to the music part, the poetic part, the lyrical part, as you describe, the majestic part, whatever it is. You put all those things in there, and so we get we get to it very quickly. Um, you know, your your works are are often a reflection of that intricate dialogue between music and the broader spheres of, of poetry, of visual arts, of philosophy, and suggesting this multidimensional approach to composition. In this piece, how do these elements interplay to inform its thematic sconic, uh, kind of sonic landscape? And, 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 and can you share your engagement with these diverse disciplines, how they've evolved over your career and how they manifest in this very detailed instructions and educational aspirations of this feat, this piece. Yeah, thank you. That's a great question. I love the word multidimensional and I want to pick up on that. But just before I answer your larger question, one thing that's interesting because you mentioned Mahler earlier, 
Now, Mahler had like six pianos, five pianos, four pianos, three, two, then piano, then mezzo piano. So like, I mean, by the time you get to mezzo piano, you're like, holy moly, you know, you started from six, five, four, three, two. And, and then you, then you're going up to double forte, double forte, triple forte, quadruple forte, uh, and so forth. Um, I'm just going to turn off this so it stops beeping no at problem. me. No problem. Uh, you know, so Mahler's got like all these different dynamics. And one of the things I decided about 35 years ago was to use six dynamics. Double piano, piano, mezzo piano, mezzo forte, forte, and double forte. Each one has a very specific meaning. Any artist can divide their volume in six uh, layers. And so if I go from piano to forte, I'm asking you to go two thirds of your volume. It's a huge crescendo, you know, or, but if I'm going double piano to piano, it's just a sixth. You know, and so one of the things I do is you'll have one player going from double piano to piano over four beats. And then another player starts at like mezzo forte, holds it, and then goes all the way to double forte. So we're going half of the distance of the volume. The other person's going a fifth of the sixth, you know, and so on and so forth. And one of the things I find that players, they respond to that once they understand there isn't going to be six piece and then five piece and then four piece and three Double piano is it that we want like hush magic, you know? And so that's just kind of a, a, an interesting uh, thing that I, I've been doing. And it, it seems to work because each dynamic really has a meaning. Um, and then in terms of your larger question, I, I love the idea of multidimensionality. For instance, I think the idea of the, the counterpoint being allied to the harmony, which is allied to the timbre, which is allied to the flow, which is allied to the rhythmic syntax, which is allied to the orchestration, which is allied to the sort of empathy with the musicians, which is allied with the picture I'm painting and so on and so forth. You can't separate these out if you're building a multidimensional sort of gestalt web of material. And I would say that's what I build, these gestalt webs, where, you know, the fact that this one is contrapuntal here makes sense for 12 reasons, not just locally. You know, it, it's harmonically making sense, timbrally, registrally, blah, 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 blah. That really, really interests me. And you asked about larger uh, inspirations. I really find a lot of inspiration in nature. Hence, you know, sunburst, and I have lots of titles on the sun and the moon and the stars and um, radiances and all kinds of things like this. If you just go to my website and just read the titles, like that's all you do. You just go to the alphabetical list and go titles. You'll see lots of nature themes because I think nature is one of the greatest teachers, like how a tree grows or how the leaves fall and leave the pattern or the way the wind blows, the certain energy flow, or the way the sun is the giver of energy and, and so on and so on and so on. The way the stars are orbiting around, you know, and the cosmos and um, galaxies and all of these things are just infinitely fascinating to me. And I love to try to think about painting them. Um, and so I have across my whole body of work and Sunburst is one piece of, among many of those. Another inspiration I would say is poetry, because I read a lot of poetry and I listen to tons and tons of poetry podcasts 
like thousands. And I've heard like all these poets reading their poems in their own voice and other people reading their poems and so on. It's sort of a huge passion. But one of the things I love is that you could have like an eight line poem. And if you had to write an essay about what the poem is saying, it might take like four pages. But the poem can somehow say it in eight lines, you know, it just says the whole thing. And I also love how you know, if it's a period, it means one thing. If it's an M dash, it's another. If it's a colon, it's another. You know, if you move one word from here to there, the whole meaning changes. Um, so, you know, it's just incredibly precise word for word, uh, punctuation by punctuation, um, enjambment, going into the new stanza, a line break, um, you know, a, a rhyme, a meter, musicality, you know, and so on and so forth. All these things that poems are made of are very, very interesting to me. And a lot of my works are short. Now, that's not to say I don't have a lot of long works, too, but I do like the shorter forms, you know, to try to say a whole thing in seven minutes or to say a whole thing in eight minutes or even some short little chamber pieces, you know, six minutes. I, I think that's fun to, you know, and they're fun recital pieces because you can just program them. They don't have to take up the whole recital. You know, you can pop them in and fit them in. And yet somehow a, a small piece that's, that's got a whole universe in it feels bigger than a 13 minute piece that wanders all over the place that doesn't really have, it doesn't sort of be convincing enough. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So. I tend to, I like to sculpt these little gems or like little jewelry boxes or little gardens or whatever metaphor anyone would care to use. And I think it's interesting. And you mentioned Bach earlier, who is my absolute favorite composer, who I listen to every single day. Right there on the shelf, I have the complete Johann Sebastian Bach, which is 172 discs. You can believe it. Anyway, um, you know, you take like one prelude, it's two and a half minutes, or one Goldberg variation, you know, two minutes and 10 seconds, or what, you know, one fugue and it's three minutes and 11 seconds. In these tiny little things and an entire universe is there, literally a whole massive universe. It feels like a 30 minute piece, but it's only three minutes. I love that. And, you know, Bach is just, I mean, it's all over everything he he made, you know, these beautiful, like, whole universes. So I think even though my music doesn't sound like Bach, uh, there's something that's gotten into me about, you know, really trying to give someone a whole experience in a short amount of time. I don't need to be self-indulgent or overstaying my welcome. If, if I know what I want to say, I can just write the little poem and say it. Right. I mean, I can I can see all of that even in just this one seven minute work. I mean, everything is, is very prescribed and yet at the same time it's prescribed so that it feels, it feels unforced. And, and of course that's what, that's what we as performers, performers, our job is to make it seem like it's the easiest thing in the world. And so then, you know, a comment that is, that is, wow, that was such a fantastic work instead of, wow, that seems so hard. We want we want the former. We, we we want it to be that that the piece came off and they didn't think about anything else for that amount of time, right? That's what we want. We want the and so that that starts with the composer, the composer composing a work that is one continuous work, 
it's one continuous thing that that makes sense all the way to the end, grabs the listener and then keeps them in there. And then by the time the piece ends, they didn't think about one other thing. So it starts with that, having that possibility. And that's not automatic. It's not automatic to every composer. It's not automatic to every piece. But then once that exists, that form exists, that 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 totality of sound exists, then our job is to make it, to evoke it in real time and then not distract, not, not take away from the listener's experience. And... And it, it it requires all three elements, all three elements that it starts with the composer and then the musicians have to do their job. And then the audience has to do its job in being willing to stay in the moment and not get distracted. And and we have a big part in that, in the distraction part. But um, that's why we basically rehearsal is no, 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 no. Yes. And that's one note. And then the next note. No, 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 no. Yes, that's it. And then one to the other, to the other, to the other, to the other. And then finally, we put it together so that it is it is one single thing. Thank you for that. I That's so beautifully said, Gramps. It's just absolutely so articulate. And, you know, it made me think of something which is like one other attribute of my body of work. And I should say, I've been writing music since I was a little girl, and I'm going to turn 60 uh, in April. So a few weeks after your concert is my 60th birthday. Um, in any case, so I've been writing for like 50 years, and I basically write every day of my life. Now, of course, there's some days I missed, but generally speaking, for 50 years, I've been making up sound out of thin air, like, like every day. So it's it's even hard for me to describe this because it's like my whole life. The whole thing is like my whole life. And um, one of the things that's very important to me is my empathy to the player. Because when I was young, I took piano lessons for many years. And then I sang in chorus. And then I took guitar lessons. And then I took up the trumpet. And then I went to college as a trumpet performance major. And I was also singing in chorus and I played in jazz band and I played in the church brass quintet and I played in all state and, you know, so on and so forth. So my entire life, I was a player, you know, I was practicing all my scales and all my fingerings and, you know, the slurs and the double tonguing and all what we practice and, you know, having the experience of playing alone at the piano and then being in a huge chorus and then being in an ensemble or in a quintet chamber music. All of those experiences as a solo player, an ensemble player, chamber music player, um, different kinds of instruments. Um, and I have a terrible voice, by the way. I was in chorus, but like I was sort of in the alto sounding horrible. But, you know, at least I can hear well. You know, I can find all those pitches easily and that kind of thing. I just don't have a good voice. But in any case... Um, so I really care about the player. I care what the paper looks like. I care what the printing looks like. I care about the page turns. I care that it's fun to play. They know why they're playing that line. You know, sometimes I'll say, uh, shadowing the bassoon or, um, uh, double, doubling the marimba. Like I give, I tell them what their, the function is at that little moment. Cause if I was a player, I'd be like, oh, that's cool. I'm shadowing somebody or, you know. So there's a whole side of me where, like, I really, really care what it what it looks like to you as the conductor. You open this score and it's like, okay, um, and what the players see and feel. And I think if they can feel my empathy to them, 
they can project their empathy to the audience because we don't have to fight the paper. You know, it's it's sort of all it all just is smooth. So then we can go and you and your artists can make magic. You know, you don't have to fight. Like, what did she mean? What tempo is it? Is there a slur? You know, there's a typo. Is this arco? You know, all that junk. We just, I just, I'm, I hate that. Like I proofread like hours and hours and hours and hours and hours, you know, so that you guys can really just get the score and immediately start to make music. And I've had several ensembles tell me, they're like, you know, sometimes we get pieces, we have to spend the whole first rehearsal just figuring out the notation and figuring out the typos and like getting the librarian to correct it. And they, they always say, well, we get your music by like second minute into rehearsal, we are making music. You know, we're just, boom, off we go. And I really like that because we're not gonna waste any rehearsal time so that the artists can bring their like incredible like expertise and flair and sensitivity and you know chamber music listening and all of that and i want to just open a space for that i i totally empathize with that i mean in a much less significant way of course there are times when i'll have to uh take a piece of music and rearrange it right it's written for one thing and i have to orchestrate it or or the other way around and and it's it's not obvious that that part of it, and I don't, this is on the back end. I mean, it, the the piece has already been written, so all I'm doing is rearranging and putting it into different parts. But the the actual making of those parts of the score of all of that stuff, it, just inputting the notes is like the first part, and then the longest part is then okay. Every single part I go into and make sure it looks right. Sibelius helps with that a lot. And, and I'm sure finale is the same way, but at the same time, you still got to go in and every single part, every single line, every single system, every single placement. It's so, it's so funny. Like it's hard to explain to somebody that's not a musician, but if a dynamic is in the wrong place, we notice, we notice that it's not the right, whatever that is, that is that, that, that um, spot where it is, it's not right under the note. It's not to the left of the note. It's like in between those two things. But if it's not in that one spot and you can't, I'm sure that some some people would be able to say it's exactly whatever millimeters based on this, on this, and this. But it's hard to explain. But if it's not in that right spot, you notice. And if you notice where the dynamics are, you're not thinking about the sound. If you notice that, like you say, like like there's a there's a mistake in the notes, you you notice that. You don't, you're not concentrating on the dynamics if 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 uh if, if the notes are the wrong size if the system is the wrong size like if if there's a disparity in that stuff then that's what you're thinking about so what you're talking about is is getting all of that out of the way so the moment they see your piece which is by nature is brand new that the, the and and this your sound is brand new to them because it's unique to you so if we can just focus on that and not the other stuff then that's that's the that's the thing that we want to do um, with this piece. What is it that you hope that that either a youth orchestra or semi-professional orchestra like us, or even a professional orchestra, will get out of this? And what what will they get out of your sound and your your uh, creation of this poetic and lyrical work? Yeah, thank you. And and just one side comment is. Um, 
about this, what you're talking about, the editing and so forth. One of the things I do is I put some bowings in for the strings because when I'm writing it, I, I'm hearing a down bow or a full fast, full fast down bow, or I'm hearing to start at the tip. And so I write it in. And then in bar one, I have an asterisk and all the string parts saying, you do not have to follow any of my bowings. I mean, they're just suggestions. But what's so interesting is usually people do generally follow them. Uh, but some people have told me, you know, we see why you put the down bow. And we're actually going to play an up bow. But we like that you put the down bow because we know how to play the up bow in a certain way. Like it's still information. Even if we decided on that one, now we're going to flip the bow the other way, um, you know, because these string players are so great. But I think one of the other things with the orchestra work is to really think about the bow arm and which string it's being played on. Like you can play some notes on many strings. And so I mark that, you know, play this one on the lower string so you get a slightly darker color or play this one at this position in the harmonic instead of this other position in the harmonic. So I like to mark all of that stuff. And um, and then of course the, the string players should do what they think is best, but it's just another layer of, of really thinking about the instrument for what you are writing. And you asked about what I would want the audience to get out of this. Is that, was, was that your question? You know, I, I would just be humbled that people sit and listen, you know, or stand if, if they need to stand for whatever reason or, you know, whatever, just be present and just listen for seven minutes. Just listen to this great orchestra, your great conducting, the color, uh, the, the, the mood, the, the picture that's being painted and just sort of go, go with it. And it's not a piece that has to be analyzed. It could be analyzed, it's rich. But you can also just take it as as just what it is, right? Off of, of face value, just it just pops off the stage, um, just like poof. Once you guys, once you give that downbeat, this piece is just it just goes that kind of thing. So I think you know it's it has a natural a naturalness, and people may like it or they may not like it. But I think one thing that everyone would notice is that I heard it. And that might sound funny, but you know, you know, some composers I think hear their work really, really well, and others it's more they're a little farther away from the sound of it, if you know what I mean. Um, and so you can so hear that I heard every note, every phrase, every timbre, every harmonic rhythm, and so on and so forth. So it's it's like a a crafted piece, whether you like it or not. And I just love craft. Like when you see someone with excellent craft, whether it's somebody laying bricks or um, pruning trees or uh, writing code or writing symphonies, whatever it is, you know, this this sense of like the craft is so well done that you can just relax and listen. You, you just feel like you're in good hands and then you can actually assess, okay, is this piece working? And what was the emotional journey of it? Was it uplifting? Was it uplifting and sort of, uh, prayerful um, or something else. And you kind of, the, the piece has emotional landscapes to it, I believe. And yet also at the very end, it's so bright and optimistic that you kind of like go into the rest of the concert, like with huge optimism in, in a certain way. It's an opener that leaves that kind of, I don't know, bravura color sunburst. And 
I think that's, I like to write optimistic music uh, generally as because it's, you know, life is short. And um, so my music is usually colorful and rhythmic and um, positive, positive spirit kind of music, sunshine and bubbles and butterflies and I don't know, moonbeams and, you know, whatever. It's just, there's a positivity to it that um, I want to give over. That, that definitely fits in with with most of the history of, of American composers. Uh, I, I remember um, William Schumann did, did an interview once and, and he said something like, um, music is, the, the history of music, the, the totality of it is like a river and there's just tons of it and tons of it. And if I can add just one drop to that river, then I am satisfied. And that is an exceedingly optimistic comment, exceedingly. And of course, his music is ex very, very optimistic. And that was that was wasn't exactly the beginning, but it was definitely in a time period where that was part of it. And 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 you're just continuing that. And I see it. I see it in all of the music, even the stuff that is that is post tonal. That we now call it, and and that kind of stuff. There still is an optimism. There's there's still this this bright quality that that doesn't it doesn't not show up in non-American music, but it's definitely consistent within it. So you're just another part of that, and 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 a very significant one. And and you talked about somebody going on your website and just reading all of the names of the pieces. That would take that would take quite a bit of time, even just a name to 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 read the names. Because you're just you're so pro prolific, and that means that that it's gonna it's gonna last, it's gonna last, and and we're gonna have it for a long time. So we're we're grateful for that, um, Maestro. Thank you for for joining us. I really appreciate it. Uh, uh, again, we're performing Sunburst, the opening to our concert on February twenty third, eight p.m. at Alpharetta Methodist Church. And thank you, and uh, we're looking forward to the performance. Oh, thank you, Grant, and my gratitude to your whole enormous organization. Thank you. Thanks.